and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford. And I'm Robbie Hicks. And on today's episode, we sit down with the man, Kevin Baum, uh, founder of AgriWeb. I'll tell you what, Lock, this is something that a couple of keyboard hands don't know nothing about, hey? No, no, you're, you're exactly right there. We've been calling him Kevin AgriWeb behind his back for weeks now, haven't we? Because I couldn't really remember his last name, but uh, thanks for reminding me. This was an awesome chat. Um, you did get the nickname Kevin Agriweb. Yeah, well, it's even on the calendar, Kevin Agriweb. So apologies, Kevin Kevin Baum. Is it Kevin Bo- Boom? Boom, shake, shake, shake the room? Or <laughs> That's what he felt like when he recorded this episode. I'll tell you right now. Seriously, if you don't know what Agriweb are or is, they're a livestock farm management software, easy to use agricultural and livestock farm management software that can help you unlock your farm's full potential. Farm smarter with Agriweb. He went to school, Kevin went to school with people that, founders of what? Instagram and Snapchat were in these classes before years above him before and yeah. after he's, yeah. he's a, he's a dude. He's an American dude. who's come across fallen in love with an Aussie. Yeah. As he's, you do, uh, as you, you do. do, he's living yeah. in Sydney. And this is one of, uh, I, I, you look at what some interesting tech companies coming out of Australia at the moment. And uh, we can claim him as an Aussie, even though he's, he, he's from the States, but, but they're like, going to go big. Yeah. It's like Russell Crowe. You just claim it, you know, like they're Australian born and bred, born and bred, loud and proud. Dick Smith. I gen- I generally love this chat. We nerded out a little bit, talk about tech companies and startups and things. So I reckon you guys will love it. Enjoy. Oh, I am pumped. You want to kick it off because I always fuck it up. It's every single time he asks me to ask the first question, I butcher it. <laughs> don't I? And it's, it's really not that hard, Kevin. So it's, who are you and what do you do, mate? I don't know how he butchers it, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're pumped that you're here. And um, can tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so if the accent doesn't give it away, I'm, I'm not actually from around here. I'm uh, about as far away as you can get. So I grew no up. Uh, what? No way. <laughs> no, I know. Shocking, right? Um, I'm also really loud. Shocking. Um, no, I grew up uh, outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, originally. Um, and I, I went to school. I went to, to Stanford for undergrad, which was... Um, which was great, um, but you know, coming from DC, everyone's like politics or lawyer or politics or consultant, and and it's sort of very buttoned down. And then uh, you know, you get out to California, and you're like, oh wait, like starting a business—that's that's a career, that's something that people do. Like, okay, cool. Um, but I was there at an interesting time, so from from 03 to 07, um, where you know, Facebook was around the corner, just getting started. Uh, you know, Twitter started while I was there. Um, the founders of, of Snapchat and Instagram were in the class above and below me. And so like on the one hand, it was this incredible time of like, holy shit, people are making, you know, these like enormous companies and look at all this money that's sloshing around. But on the other hand, you know, everyone's talking about how they're changing the world. And I guess the cynical side of me was like, are you really changing the world? Like is, is making people addicted to likes on the internet, like actually, you know, pushing positive change? Like, I don't know. Um, so I ended up moving back east, uh, back to DC, uh, and I got a job as a consultant. So I was working in the renewable energy space, um, and I worked. It was that was awesome. I was working with, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, researchers, and and sometimes corporates that were doing innovation. And you know, this was okay, cool. Like you know, you were saying it earlier. Like this is a real industry. You know, in 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 two hundred years, will we be on TikTok? Like probably not, but we will need energy. We will need food, water, infrastructure, you know, those things that you mentioned earlier. These are kind of like the pillars of, of society. And so that felt really exciting and meaningful. But I was a consultant. So <laughs> it was like I was, I was entrepreneur adjacent. I was like hanging out with cool people doing cool stuff. But ultimately what I was doing is writing like a 200-page report for the government to decide whether or not they wanted to like fund those people again. And, so after about four or five years of that, I was like, all right, I, I want to I sit on the other side of the table. Um, and so uh, I went back to graduate school in the UK, which is where I met Justin Webb, um, which is why there's two Bs on our name. Um, and so Justin uh, had a background in, in building and selling businesses in finance, um, but his, his familial background was, was fourth generation uh, on the farm. And his dad grew up on a farm down near Tamiliquin. Uh, and so, you know, we met, we hit it off, we drank beers. And, and when uh, he got back to Australia, he sort of rang me up and was like, hey, you know, I've been, I've been getting, you know, stuck into the family business more. And, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm sitting around the kitchen table 
um, you know, with, with our consultants, our agronomists, our advisors. And I'm like, okay, you know, we spent $500,000 last year on, on that supplement. Like, how did that go? Like, what was the ROI? And the answer was like, oh, well, you know, Fred across the road does it. So we thought it was a good idea. You know, there's just nothing was driven by data. So as you can imagine, as a, as a finance guy, his head basically exploded. Um, and so he started looking around for tools to, to manage the farm. Like, you know, this was just solving a personal problem for him. Like, I want a piece of software. I want something that I can, you know, track over time and, and improve business. And what he found was, you know, the, the primary tool was basically pencil and paper. It's like the notebook in the top pocket that, that people had. And that's how they were running their business. So, um, you know, there were some software tools out there. They were very legacy. You had like backup drives and, you know, it was desktop software and it was really, really heavy. So, um, anyway, he was like, well, farm. <laughs> yeah, he's got, got the big desktop on the back of the tractor. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing a farmer loves more after a long day outside than like sitting in front of a desktop and like plugging in, you know, <laughs> plugging in bullshit. So, um, so yeah, so he was like, Hey, there's, there's an opportunity here. So he, he rang me up. I was still in England. He rang me up and was like, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I think that I'm from DC. I don't, I don't know anything about farming. Like, what, what are you talking about? So, um, I hopped on a plane, I came down and I spent a bunch of time out in Western Victoria, um, out in their place and just sort of shouted the manager and asked a bunch of dumb questions. And, um, you know, I still didn't really know what I was looking at, but I was like, oh man, like, this is awesome. This, this is, there's so much opportunity. There's so many things, um, particularly on the digital side uh, in farming that, that we can add value to, that we can fix. And so came back up to Sydney where he was based and you know, sat down and had some more beers and, and we're talking about it some more and, uh, and then started thinking about kind of the bigger picture around what we're doing, which is, this is a problem on farm and it's a problem on every farm and, it, and it's a global problem, right? It's, it's way better in Australia and New Zealand than it is in the US or in Europe, for example. Um, but th there's almost like, there's bigger problems that we can solve if you get this right as well, which is, you know, here we are as, as a species, we're trying to uh, make 56% more food without using any more land while reducing greenhouse gas emissions from ag by 75%. How the hell can you do that if you don't have data at the source, right? Or, or we're the Australian government and we wanna have you know, food security. We wanna be able to trace outbreaks back to, to you know, if something happens, like the source of it. How can you do that if you don't have data at the source? If you want a consumer who's going into the, to the grocery store and wants to you know, know where their food come from, paddock to plate, that kind of thing. How can you do that if there's nothing at the source? So I guess you know, that, that was when it really got exciting about, okay, we're gonna solve a problem for for farmers and, and our, you know, one of our core tenants is live for the farmer. But if we can, and at scale in a global way, like di help digitize this space, then you can start to solve like really big macro, like people problems. And so, um, yeah, so I, I came back to, to the US after that trip, all fired up. And my, my now wife, my incredibly understanding wife was like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, let's go, let's do it. Like, let's figure it out. Um, so because this, this kicked off what 2014 yeah yeah so that was that was yeah seven years ago now god that's incredible um and in in melbourne so uh we we kicked off the business in melbourne and it was the classic like in the backyard in the garage for about two years before we before we got a proper office uh that's insane. Of how, how doesn't something like that exist before like you're saying like if something happens if we, we you know we need to know where our food source is and we got a old Bob up the road. He's got his, his book out, his Excel book, and he's just going through. That's the only way that people could track any type of food. That is, that's weird. That's the one thing we need to live probably more than oxygen, the same as oxygen, you know? It's not as sexy. Well, yeah. I just don't think, my, my opinion was like, you look at, you're talking about all these crazy dudes that were with you at Stanford below and up above you doing like, are they really providing value to the world? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> it's like, yeah food tech or thing is it yeah. i don't know is it, is it have they been laggard because it's not a sexy space or is it just i think i think there's i think there's two things one is um you know there actually has been a lot of food technology if you think about it like john deere is an ag tech company you know they've got driverless tractors run by gps and all this crazy stuff they do but, cool shit they got i like <laughs> um, they do um i like their they have a, they got like a real futuristic type shit where they they put out videos and say what it might look like in the future and that too. John Deere yeah. got some cool stuff. 
Yeah. Like that. There you go. Smart farm. It's, it, you know, it, and, you know, drones flying around, tracking everything, and, and, and it's pretty cool. What hasn't necessarily been huge is digital technology. And I think 50% of that is just limitations of signal. You know, there just hasn't been good service, hasn't been good internet in the bush. But I think the other side of it is what you just touched on, which is like, there's this perception of like, oh, it's, you know, it's not sexy, it's not interesting, it's not cool. And, you know, because people go, oh, I'm not a farmer. I'm not, I'm not a farmer. Three quarters of the people behind me, it, it, well, not, not all of them yet, but um, they're not farmers either, right? And, and, you know, I think that people get really fixated on kind of the end user as opposed to like the problem we're solving or the technology we're building. I mean, look at some of the, some of the coolest companies in Australia. Um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, deputy, like dealing with, with timesheets. You've got um, a safety culture dealing with checklists, right? It's like, if you just say that, it's like, oh, checklists aren't that cool. But like, it's obviously a super innovative company that's, you know, growing at an incredible rate and has built an awesome culture. And like, that's exciting. And it's solving a real human problem. So I think people get fixated on that. But I, I do think that's been a limitation. You know, people say, oh, well, th that's not for me. That's, you know, I'm not a farmer. I'm going to go I'm gonna do something in the city. But um, you know, we've got offices in, in London, Denver, and, and Surrey Hills in Sydney, you know, we're a tech company. Uh, you know, we have, we have great ag in the business, but at the end of the day, we're a tech company. I think that's been a, a misnomer that's probably prevented more people from going into the space. And the other thing I'll say about that is it, it works. Like, you know, people have this impression of like, ah, oh, farmers, you know, to market to them, you gotta like, you know, go and do print advertising in, in the land and you gotta go down to the field day every week. And, you know, sure, the, those things, you can do those things and we've done those things and we got customers that way. But what's really given us growth has been advertising on Facebook and, you know, developing content marketing and, you know, creating like really good user experience. You know, farmers are no different than anyone else. Like they are social, they, they talk to their friends, you know, they, they want to read valuable, interesting content. So, you know, all these like interpretations of how it's like a backwards industry. It's like, no, no one, just no one's given it a crack to be a modern company in this industry. And, and that's what's been fun about the last five years, six years. No one's given the farmers credit. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're on the Facebook, mate. They're on the line. They're you know, right? the, the, the piece of hay hanging out their mouth, walking around <laughs> on their dial-up phone. You know? <laughs> like, mate, give us the elevator pitch. Like, for those who are listening, we've got this party. Like, what is AgriWeb? Um, AgriWeb is an app, and it sits on your phone in your back pocket. So you, you know, instead of having that notebook there, you've got your phone with you and it tracks everything you want on your farm. And it's, it's not just the ag side, it tracks labor, it tracks inventory, it tracks tasks. Um, so it's this holistic farm management tool. Um, and what it enables is you to sort of, when you're outside, you know, on the go, something happens, you can record it right there, right there in the field, right there in the paddock. So when you get home, you don't have to sit in front of the desktop and, and you know, re-enter things. Now that is a really simple, that's our first problem. That's a really simple problem but literally, I mean, our first customer came to us. We weren't actually advertising. I don't even know how he found us, but he came to us and he was like, hey, I keep putting my notebook through the washing machine. And so like, I don't know what's happened with my animals. So it was like really basic problems. But what that allows you to do is, okay, so now you have all your farm, all your records at your fingertips. You can look up anything very easily whenever you want it in the way that you want it. Uh, you can handle compliance a whole lot easier. You know, as we move into a world where people want to know more and more about their food, um, you know, compliance becomes more and more rigorous. We can solve that for, for farmers. We can create decision tools. We have a whole, a whole web app uh, that's linked into to the phone app that allows you to go in and, and make future looking decisions, create operational planners, um, you know, understand your business in a much more granular way and make way better decisions. So it's sort of like, First, we save you time and simplify record keeping. Then we improve your audit and compliance, which makes you more money if you want to, say, be, be grass-fed or be organic accredited, things like that. And then finally, here's some decision tools now where you can really step change your business moving forward. Um, and it's not, it's not anything that's, you know, there's not some super secret, uh, you know, crazy algorithm that's involved. You know, we do have some, you know, some tools that are a little bit sophisticated, but it's just digitizing a lot of the processes that have been done really manually and thus either haven't been done or, or just take forever to actually do.
did it take you guys a while to like gather all those pain points? Like obviously the first one, which is notebook and pocket going through the wash, but it's such a complex process. And I'm, I'm sure that a lot of farmers have their own way of doing things and each different, whether it's different types of livestock, they've come with different processes. Is that, am I right in assuming that's sort of how it works? A hundred percent. And, and you ask, you ask, you know, 50 of our customers what they want most importantly, and we'll give you 49 answers. So, <laughs> and actually we, we probably made, you know, one of, of, of our many mistakes we made, I think in the early days, it was we kind of built an app for Western Victoria, not for necessarily all of Australia. So we were really over-optimizing for all these kind of beta users and, and early adopters that we had out in the Western districts. And then we like went to New South Wales and we're like, oh, we, we've missed a few, we've missed a trick here. <laughs> There's a bit more that uh, needs to happen. But I mean, if there are challenges about ag, um, you know, customer development would be one of them. Um, you know, we are, we have always been city-based. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we're drawing, you know, top level uh, tech talent, which happens to be concentrated in the cities, but um, we can't just walk down to the, to the coffee shop to get, you know, feedback from a user. You actually have to sit in a car for multiple hours to get out there. And so that's been challenging, but, um, you know, still that's how you have to do it. You have to get on the road. You have to get in front of farmers. Um, you know, everyone in the business, you know, a lot of people, it's been their first farm tour. You know, we try and make sure pre COVID, make sure that everyone gets out on the road at least once, you know, to get in front of the customer and, and they always come back even more fired up with sort of an appreciation for, Oh, like this is a real person and, and I know what problem I'm solving now. So is that part of the onboarding process? I mean, how many, how many cats you got working with you now? Um, if we fill all of our open roles, we've got some, some open roles right now, we'll be at about 60. Um, and that's, and that's uh, probably three quarters here in, in Sydney. Uh, and then we've got about 10 over in the UK and we've got three in the US. Um, but that's obviously, we're, we're expanding those businesses as well as, as, well as growing here. Um, and so is it part of the onboarding process? I mean, yes and no. It's, it's something we really want people to do in their kind of first six to 12 months, but we also have to be opportunistic about when are the right times and what are the right events for it. And, um, we don't just give you the keys of a rental car, you know, on day one and say, <laughs> see you tomorrow. But, um, um, you know, it is, I think it is really important in terms of contextualizing what it is people are doing. But yeah, like bringing the right people in, you know what I mean? In terms of the culture and what you want to create, like you, you clearly tell you're passionate about this space. Um, is there part education when people come in or is it already people interested in that sort of space before they, um, I mean, I think it's 50, 50. Um, you know, like I said, most of the people here don't actually have an ag background. Some come in and, and are really excited about food, uh, and, and by extension agriculture. Um, but there's a lot of people that just come in because they're like, Oh, you know, it looks like you're building cool tech and this is a new space. Like there's not many industries in the world left that you can digitize. Right. And so having like, Hey, let's digitize a whole new industry. That, that's pretty cool. Um, and then, you know, that is part of the onboarding is we have kind of like a, a farming 101 again you don't need to go out there and be an expert but you know at least you need to know the difference between a cow and a sheep <laughs> the bulls have bulls don't they <laughs> <laughs> right. Mate, i want to touch on like you guys you call yourself a tech company first and you're expanding internationally we're talking about how you how you create alignment across across geographies across locations ensure that you're all on the same page and uh, is all your are all your developers here in Australia or the developers over in the states? Like, how does it, how does it all work? Yeah, I mean, we've been very Australia centric, you know, up until quite recently. Um, so the whole the whole engineering team we have we have three engineers in the UK. The rest of the engineering team is is here in Australia, um, and so that lopsidedness has been something that we need we need to get better at. I mean, part of it is that those offices are, are going to be expanding a lot and they're going to start to become a lot more full stack. Um, and we want to move to a slightly more distributed model where each country is kind of like a self, a self-sufficient operating unit. We will still have global functions, but those global functions don't have to be in Sydney. They can be, you know, they can be wherever it makes sense, wherever we can find the right people. Um, but yeah, I mean, time zones, time zones are a nightmare. And, and I think that when you, you know, when you first open that first office, particularly if you are doing it in Europe where it's the absolute nightmare scenario, um, trying to rely on what you can rely on in the office, the like learning through osmosis just doesn't work. And like trying to make sure everything is face-to-face -face, like is either really painful uh, if you like sleep or just doesn't work that well. So 
it's definitely been a forcing function for, okay, like maybe we need to like document better. Maybe we need to like use these tools more effectively and actually, I don't know, create internal wikis or, or use Slack for something more than just sending gifts to each other and stuff like that. So there, there has been an element of, of growing up a little bit that's just been forced by that transition. Um, but I think we're in, a, we're in a pretty good operating rhythm now. Um, and with the U.S. coming online, now it's literally impossible to triangulate those time zones. So uh, we're going to have to get even better. Or just don't sleep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just reckon just pull the pit on sleep. Just stuff it. <laughs> we're overrated. Well, I have, I have young kids, so that's just not even in my lexicon anymore. We're used to it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mate, we, we, we talked before about, or well, I mentioned just before offline, is that food, energy, and water mm. for, for us is like you talk about it in like, that's the space to play human survival, you know, like and you need that, do we? we need that. <laughs> and you're involved in tech in that space. Like we, we touched on it before about the differences between other people doing, I don't know, maybe they're doing stuff that may not be beneficial to yeah. society or humanity as a whole. How does it feel for you being in that space? Like, is that what gets you energized knowing that you're actually playing a part in something that is so important? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, um, it's it's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning because you know startups are super hard uh and and unless you're in sort of the hyper growth hockey stick which is you know the rare few super successful businesses most of them you gotta you gotta grind through a lot of a lot of shit and knowing that that this is really meaningful and impactful and something you can look back on and be and be proud of is is a driver for me and i think a driver for a lot of people i mean most you know look at our engineering team most of them, you know, came from other startups or they came from, you know, some of your big tech companies, your IBMs and Adobe's and stuff like that. And um, they probably made a lot more money. I don't want to ask, but, um, you know, they, they love what they're doing here because of that, because they get up and they feel like it's mission driven uh, and, and they're actually having a, a big impact on the world. And um, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I, I never, I'd love to say this was premeditated. Uh, and, and you mentioned earlier that, that I was involved, uh, you know, when I was in um, graduate school, I kind of was involved in another kind of ag tech startup. That's just a pure coincidence. That was not like a deliberate decision. I thought I was going to be an energy guy. I thought I was going to stay in the energy space forever and was messing around with some ideas there. But um, because I just didn't, I didn't know ag. But again, I've learned that that's, that's not a prerequisite. Um, you know, if you you like solving big problems this is it's a good space to be in because there's, there's a lot there's a lot of them one of our big challenges uh in the early days was just like reining ourselves in we're like we're gonna build sensors and we're gonna have a marketplace and we're gonna build an app and we're gonna do this because there's like everything you know uh showed opportunity and uh we kind of got punched in the face a few times and learned to focus but um but there's a lot of opportunity and that's that's really exciting how do you prioritize them though like how you mentioned like that is hard like saying no to things and just sort of saying canning it, even though you know it's a good idea and it, and it could definitely work. Yeah. How, how do you bring yourself to just go, well, scrap that. Like we, one thing we've learned this year is not to attach yourself too much to your ideas and just sort of go with the flow. Yeah. Um, how did it all work for you? Uh, poorly at first. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely were not great. Uh, you know, I think, you know, that we've sort of gone through different phases in the first couple of years we were, genuinely like trying to build three independent businesses because they were all, I mean, they're all real opportunities. Uh, you know, some of them are now being worked on by other companies, which is great. We're going to work with them. Um, but we had like two people. And so, you know, three businesses with two people, it's not, not great math. Um, uh, but what we found, you know, why we settled the way we did is, is like I said at the beginning, it just seemed that the underpinning of everything kept coming back to this how do you digitize the farm? How do you get the, how do you add value at the farmer level? Because everything seemed to be operating at the next level. It was at, it was at processing, it was at retailers, it was at the transport logistics supply chain and everything started at the farm gate, but there wasn't really a whole lot happening before the farm gate. And, and all of the problems that were happening in those other areas could be resolved if you could get better, clearer, cleaner data on the farm. So, that it was just sort of the we, we kind of got forced into it because that was where the just all the demand was coming you know we were convinced that oh for, you know we had the stereotypes too oh farmers aren't going to be that excited by an app you know we'll need to build something else that's like a hook and so we were we were building a sensor we were building a, a water monitoring sensor because like australia like everyone's checking their waters this is you know they they do it manually they drive out uh, around the paddock and, and look at the waters and it takes them two hours a day if you got a big farm whatever 
um, that's crazy. Like, let's, let's digitize that. Um, turns out that, you know, sensors uh, out in the bush are really hard and there's some good companies doing it, but it was a really hard problem. And, you know, by that point, we, we also were building the app and we realized that we actually don't need this hook. People want this, you know, this data problem is huge and it's, and it's a huge impediment to driving business forward. So, um, you know, we didn't have to, to try and do these different things. And, you know, now we just integrate with people that are doing water sensors and, and bring that into the platform, um, which is awesome. So, yeah, we, it, it took us about two years to really figure it out. And uh, we probably, uh, yeah, made a fair few mistakes along the way. I think you're just listening, mate. Just listening. What do people want? Yes, we'll just do that. Done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do like the, uh, the, the ideas portal. So a place yeah. to gather customer feedback. You, people can upvote and you can figure out what features are actually, yeah. what do people desire, what people want. Is that, has that been a, a good way for you guys to pick and choose things you can add to your roadmap? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we lean on the customers a lot. It, you know, typically, my philosophy is that, is that customers are not necessarily product managers. Um, we've learned that the hard way too. Um, but they're the best in the planet at, at, you know, being able to figure out the problems. And so the ideas portal is that starting off point for, man, this thing's getting a ton of traction. Let's, let's dig into this more. And then we reach out to people you know, get them on phone calls, you know, send them emails, do whatever it is to understand the problem in a deeper way. It may mean that we then build exactly what they asked for, or it could mean, well, actually we've got a, like a, a different way that we can solve this exact same problem, but they are the source of truth or problems. And the amount of entrepreneurs, you know, my, myself included in the first two years, um, you know, even though we were doing a lot of discovery, we also did a lot of like I know the greatest solution. Like I know exactly what they need. This is going to be the thing. Um, and haven't actually talked to enough people about it is, is kind of appalling. So, um, you know, it's, it's getting the ideas, crowdsourcing them through the portal and then reaching out to customers in an ideal, in the ideal world, if we can actually going out to physically see, you know, what it's looking at. Um, you know, a lot of our kind of UX UI ideas come explicitly from kind of what they're doing already. So as an example, you know, the, probably the first feature we had was just a digital map, you know, so you can see your farm, you can see your paddocks on the map, you've got these little icons that are mobs and you can move them around and that no one had done that before. And where it came from is those early days of just driving around to different farms in the Western district, you walk into the shed and nine times out of 10, you see a whiteboard and there's a whiteboard and they've drawn out the farm and they've got these little magnets and they're like moving the magnets around. And that was how they tracked things. You know, when we were out there and we said, shit, that's a pretty good idea. Like, let's, you know, why, why don't we just digitize that? And so a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, um, yeah, our, our, our really good ideas and things that have worked really well have come just explicitly from observing not necessarily, you know, having them say, hey, design this app for us, but actually observing what they're doing and thinking about a way we can bring that online. Oh, I love that. Oh, get out there and do it. See it with your own <laughs> eyes. I like it. Yeah, 100%. Oh, like, has it been, Australia is such a, we were saying this before we jumped on the call, is that Australia has so much land. It's so, it's, it's so big. It's so vast. It's, yeah. And we've been, when we're known for our farming, we're known for our produce. Is that something that, you, you think is going to go hand in hand with technology or like, is that how we solve some of the problems that you were talking about before? Like how do we reduce our, our emissions? How do we increase our food supply? How do we do it by conserving water? Is that something that we, if we don't do, we're fucked? Uh, at the rate that population's going, I, I think, yes. I think that, you know, there has to be step changes in, in what's going on. And it, it doesn't mean stopping what we're currently doing as in any industry. It's just, using data to make it better or using technology to make the current practice better. But yeah, I mean, populations are growing. Uh, the demand uh, is only increasing. Demand for protein is increasing. And we know that protein is a, you know, a challenging industry from a sustainability perspective. So, you know, we need to be improving it. And Australia is perfectly positioned for this. One, um, it is a, a very a naturally innovative ag space. Um, you know, like I said, Australia and New Zealand are probably, in my experience, leading the world in terms of their adoption of technology, in terms of their, you know, I'm from the US, you know, it's, it's the running it like a business rather than like I'm a cowboy kind of thing. Um, and you've got, you know, we're sitting here right next to, you know, right next to Asia where there's huge demand for Australian produce. And one of the things that sets Australia apart, not just in Asia, but even in the US, is this, this it's a quality product. People know that it's, 
It's well-made. It's a quality product. There's, there's good management that goes into it. And that's a competitive advantage that needs to be leaned on more. And technology is a great way to do that. Creating more traceability, more, you know, knowing exactly what's happening at the source continues to keep Australia, I think, ahead of the world in terms of those things. And since it's, you know, so much of our produce is being exported, um, it's a huge opportunity. I think it's, you know, uh, this 2020, 2021 is supposed to be, um, you know, $63 billion industry, uh, you know, for Australia in agriculture. So it's a massive, um, it's a massive opportunity. Uh, and it's one that Australia really keeps its nose ahead of the rest of the world by being sort of the leaders in adopting technology. How do you, how do you, how do you keep, God, I do love that. How do you keep updated and informed and like educated on what's going on in the space? I mean, you're a bit of a thought leader in, in ag ag tech and stuff. Like how are you learning more about problems? I know you've had the stuff through AgriWeb on the website and stuff, but is there any other things that you're looking at? Like, I know we, you said we're sort of leading the way. Do you have any sort of friends in the industry who you're leaning on and, and talk and having chats with and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a pretty tight knit space, um, as you can appreciate it. You know, you you're around here six, seven years, and you start to kind of know a lot of the names and a lot of the businesses and and, and what's going on there. So, um, and and I actually think that's one of the best ways to learn. Um, you know, sure, there's a lot of sort of you know government government materials out there and sort of the academic side of things, which is really important to create the base. But in terms of actually keeping up with the stuff that's changing every day. Um, you know, you got to have a broad network and you got to get out there and, and talk to people as just like with the customers, you got to go out there and talk to people and talk to people in the industry all the time um, because things are incessantly changing. So, um, and that's why, you know, we, like you mentioned, you know, we, we do a lot in terms of content and, and that's a great way of, you know, we're doing that obviously to help our, um, our customers learn. It's also a great way for us to learn. You know, we bring in people, we had our uh, future farming series, um, you know, over the winter where you know, we bring in people that are experts in, in regenerative agriculture or in carbon credits or in you know, these things that are sort of pushing the envelope of, of where it's going. Uh, and, and experts in the field are, are always looking for a way to have a voice. So um, bringing them in has been, you know, it's something that the whole office sits around and listens to and watches because we learn as much from it as, as our customers do. That's sick. I really like that. I'll tell you one thing that I really, I, I'm super interested in and I'm a bit of a, like a, a nuffy really when I think about it is um, genuine nuffy. Genuine. Like I, I really like urban agriculture. I like the idea of, I don't know if you've seen a couple of ones, but there's one over in the States called Gotham greens and they do like, yeah. it's like, it's like indoor farming, all the lights, but they're just like, it's farm to table, but it's like community. Like it doesn't have to travel that far. So it's like reducing, um, like they got low, lower transport, it's less water consumption. It's it's better for the environment because they they can create based on demand. Like I think about, I read this report. I don't know, it come out. It was the Australian like twenty thirty report talking about where will farming head. And I, this is like a few years back. And I'm, I'd love to get your thoughts on where where is the industry going? We're we gonna end up walking through the city now that the cities are all ghost towns. Are we are gonna have all these like factory warehouses full of like urban farms and are we gonna have sheep on roofs like what, what what's gonna happen <laughs> you know what, what's going on yeah look i mean um i th i think that stuff is that stuff is great and that stuff is definitely going to play a part i think to to deal with the concept of of 10 billion people on the planet you're still going to have to have huge improvements on you know the more commercial side of agriculture as well um so i think all of these things need to come to play if we're going to meet the food problems and i think that the one that we're most excited about is this kind of interconnected farm or, or the smart farm. And again, you mentioned it with John Deere where they've got those, you know, visions of the, of the farm of 2050 and, and that's happening. And I think one of, the, one of the reasons maybe it's not even happening quicker is because there's too many people that are kind of doing their own thing. And, um, you know, they've got this guy with the sensor over here and this company doing awesome satellite imaging over here and we're building a management app and, you know, all this stuff needs to play together more. If you look at, you know, other industries, you know, they're, they're way more interconnected. And I think as we, you know, as the industry, um, as the ag tech side of it sort of uh, develops a little bit, that's going to start happening more and more and more. And that creates more drive for people to want to get involved because it's, it's a better user experience. They've got more data flowing into the, to what they want to do. And suddenly this, those, those future images become a reality. And that's what I think it's going to be. It's going to be uh, an incredibly sophisticated farming environment where you've got you know, it's the combination of imaging and sensors and automation and tools that are driving themselves around 
Um, and it doesn't take away the expertise of the farmer. It doesn't take away the job that they're doing. That's still, that's still critical. And those, those generations of knowledge, of embedded knowledge are, are essential, but it'll just make that job that much easier uh, because we have to make a whole lot more food. <laughs> we generally have to make a whole lot more food in the next yeah. So, all the, So all the tools and the companies that are pumping stuff out at the moment, it's all very like closed loop stuff. They're not like talking to each other through APIs. And so it's not like it's like a massive connection of saying, hey, as a farm, like you're talking about before, you guys, in your, in your company, you're using Slack, you've got all these yeah. other tools that you use to be able to plug in and make your company work. Whereas a farmer at the moment still got, hey, I might use this one for this, or I might use this. It's not like, there's nothing really that's consolidated. Is that? Yeah, I mean, not. It's getting to that point. It's getting to that point. And, and I, like, I don't think it's intentional. I don't think people are, are trying not to play nice. It's just like, we all have a lot on our plates and there's a lot going on. And, and we actually have, you know, really started building out our integration ecosystem. Um, you know, we've got a dozen integrations at this point, but we want there to be dozens more and, and we want to make it go two ways as well. And I think it's more just around like time and prioritization and funding rather than lack of desire. Because um, it's sort of a little bit more of an, of an abstract value to a company. Like it will unquestionably benefit all of us because it will just drive adoption within the industry in a huge way. But it's like, you know, who's going to be, who's going to be chicken and egg? Who's going to be first to like actually just invest money in it uh, to make it happen. But, but it is happening. And, and all of the other sort of ag tech players that we have, you know, relationships with, like they're just as interested as we are. It's just about like, okay, where are you on your roadmap? Where are we? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe we'll meet you in April 21, something like that. So it's kind of aligning, aligning that together, but um, that's happening. And the rate, you know, as with anything, the rate at which um, some of these deep tech, uh, you know, things are, are advancing um, is really, really spectacular. I mean, I've got a friend who's building a robotics uh, startup um, that is, you know, automating, you know, picking strawberries and things like that. And, um, you know, imaging is getting better by the year, just like you know, huge step changes in, in its granularity and its resolution and what you can do with that. So um, this stuff is coming at pace. Um, and the key is when can we sort of bring it together so it's contextualized and just turned into a useful insight because all the data in the world is great um but you need to actually have it become a decision that's super exciting i can't wait for that point he's locks just get his dog he's gone <laughs> he, Why he, that he, he loses it at um at the front the front door and then it's because he, he sits on this couch and he loves it he looks right out the window and he thinks he's the king of the castle but he is the king he is he is, he, is he definitely is you're not he is <laughs> like that's so exciting i can't wait for like it's such an interesting space when you talk about it. It's because it is so relatively new. Like, like you mentioned before is it's things are still there to be digitized. There's so much room for innovation, still so much room for growth. And it's so yeah. early in the stages of what you guys are doing. It's such an exciting space to be in. I can't, it's like you can, you go to sit down and do more stuff. There's, there's constantly going to be more ideas to come because there's so much cool stuff left to room, more room to grow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, the 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 interest from you know from the farmers and from the industry itself is also you know enormous and again i think people have this stereotype about farmers around you know their interest in technology or they're interested in digital technology and it's like oh farmers don't like farmers don't like digital it's like no they don't like they don't like shitty digital like i don't like shitty tools as well and you know when you look at some of the stuff they've been trying to use for the past 30 years you get why they haven't been that excited about it but when you make something that's good and interesting, you know, they're incredibly quick adopters. They love, they love technology and they love the value that it can bring. So, um, you know, it's not just exciting for us, but I think, I think it's really exciting for, for the people in the industry seeing, you know, where it's headed, where it's going to go, particularly the kind of new generation, you know, farming is on the average age is a little bit older, but you've got this new generation coming and taking over. That's kind of looking for, for the next, the next evolution, the next shift. It also means that the, the generations coming through i've got a lot of friends who have played footy up in the country and talk about the normal habits is that if they have grown up in a farming family or they've grown up out in the country is that they have to look for employment they would normally move to city centers to go and find jobs but now i guess everything sort of flipped with COVID, and i think that now everyone's going well fuck what is it that i actually want to do and if this is a space that allows me to follow on and family heritage and i can get involved with stuff and there's still employment opportunities that doesn't mean I'm working in the space that is, I guess, behind other industries. It's an exciting place that would be, I guess, really drive people to want to work in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, like I said, we're sort of cut, we're around this time right now where, where succession is like a really big topic. We're actually, I, I, I wasn't even pitching this, but this week we have a succession uh, webinar that we're doing where people talking about creating succession plans and what's going to happen with that. And, and you're absolutely right. I think a huge, almost like a fear for a lot of the older generation is that, you know, the next generation isn't going to want to take over. They isn't, they're going to want to move to Sydney or Melbourne or whatever and not necessarily go and, and take over the farm. And you're absolutely right that COVID is probably uh, having people question that a little bit and getting excited. But, um, you know, when we look at some of our older customers, a lot of them come to us because they're like, look, this isn't for me. You know, I'm, I'm retiring in five years, but I know that I want to level this up because that does make it exciting and interesting for that next generation to come in and, and carry the flag. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, like I said, there, we've got the, the technology shift, but there's also this generational shift. And I think that's going to, it's only going to accelerate, you know, the, the move towards that kind of future, future smart farm world. Oh, like if you've got kids and, and one, a couple into farm and a couple aren't, and then, you know, there's always the bloody, who's going to split this, who's going to split that. Well, mate, if you're into tech, you can still work on the farm because there's plenty of stuff to do. You know what I mean? It's not, it's going to cause less fights. I reckon less drama is more opportunity for people. <laughs> We didn't think they'd be involved in that space like like you were saying before. It's it's crazy. I know I'd be more on the tech sort of side, the business side, rather than the out with the bucket, milking the cows. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you don't have any work with hands. No, no calluses on these bad boys at all. <laughs> like, Kev, do you have any, like, do you look at any other tech companies or products from different industries to take inspiration from? Like, do you, is there any ones out there that you go, well, I really like the way they do user experience or I'm interested in how they're building their... They're, they're, what tech stack they use, like where do you get your inspiration from in, as uh, a leader of the ag tech space? Where do you look for outside of that space for inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I love looking at other SaaS businesses, you know, because, you know, I think about, look, my, uh, you know, my co-founders come from more agricultural backgrounds. I come from more of a tech background. So I, I think more about kind of the tech side of what we're doing. And so I like looking at, you know, who, who is the best in the world at TV SaaS and what is it they do? But I also like looking at businesses, you know, looking at Atlassian is not necessarily instructive because like they're just, they're, they're like eight steps, <laughs> like 20 steps above where we are right now. I want to know who is where we were 12 to 18 months ago. Like I, who, was, who was raising their Series B, you know, whatever, a year ago, because they're sort of closest to it. And, and tech is like constantly evolving, you know, internally as well. And, you know, take marketing, for example, you know, it's, con it's gone, you know, you had HubSpot and, it was all about sort of, um, you know, the content marketing that they were doing, that the concept of inbound is, is very new. And now you've got drift that comes in and it's like, no, it's more about this conversational marketing concept. And these things are all good and, and they're all evolving. So I want to sort of say, all right, who's, who's kind of the latest to be just one or two steps above us and what can we learn from, from what they're doing? Um, and, you know, we've, we've found a lot of inspiration in that. Um, and, like I said, nine times out of 10, those principles that work for a drift, for example, also work for agro. Um, and we just got to find the way to, you know, get it into our industry. But those concepts are, are, you know, your consumer is a human and those concepts work if you have humans. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not about being a, a, another ag tech company necessarily, although we also do draw inspiration from our, our peers in ag tech. You can get creative too, like you're saying. It's like looking through, getting inspired and then going, how are we going to mold this into what we do here? I mean, that's exciting in itself. Like that's, talk about getting up and going to work every day and, and, and getting inspired. And I don't know, it's just really cool what you're doing. We, we haven't had anyone on from this space on the podcast before. And I know Robbie's been chomping at the bit to, to chat with someone like yourself because he's so, so passionate about this space as well. So Oh, it's just interesting the combination of the tech and and the farming side, especially in Australia. You know, there's not that like you said before. There's not that many industries mm. left that are left to be di digitized. I yeah. I just finished up work at a at a company I've been working at, um, Pexa Property Exchange Australia, which digitized property settlement, and it's like that such a massive thing. You go and how is that still done via paper? And you're like, there can't be that many of those yeah. situations left, but there probably is. You know, like there's technology yeah. is like it's there's so much i'm i've had this conversation i was talking to my old man over the over the weekend and we we're talking about big how ash Hicks. yeah big shout out to my old man ash Hicks. and it was technology's not going away anytime soon and it's like how do people keep up and stay relevant without it taking over their life and it's a really interesting dilemma for me is like i, I find that if i'm 
too involved in tech or doing whatever, um, it, it heightens anxiety. It does all these other things, but then it's like, at the end of the day, it's just another tool, you know, especially how we look, this one specifically, agriculture, we were talking about it on the weekend, is that's what separates us apart from being hunter-gatherers. That's what allowed us to create a society is when we can... We can settle in one place. We can settle in one place. We can produce our own food and we don't have to go out there with our spears and um, go yeah. hunt boar, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, We can... I'll, I'll, grow some spinach, bro. Grow some spinach. Yeah. I'm happy to pick some strawberries, you know? Get me out there picking strawberries. I don't mind that. Yeah. It's, it's just fucking weird, you know? It's, yeah. it's weird. It was, the, it was the original industry, right? It was the original industry and it came about through the first agricultural technology uh you know back however many thousands of years ago it was so no it's fun and, and it's exciting to be involved i'll tell you i was watching a show last night which is very off topic i was i was pretty deep into an episode of ancient aliens talking about agriculture um in uh where was it it was in peru or something i was saying and like here's the first it was like the first remnants of where they actually did they, they farmed and they was like i was like off man <laughs> like what's going on but it was talking about how like all these agricultural practices evolved from that one point and it's like you mentioned before like the technology and the things that allowed us to do that we've come so far from being a species that didn't farm anything and we had to go out there and constantly our day-to-day -day was about survival and finding our next meal and now we're to a point where we can throw pesticides on well, them, throw pesticides, but people are so disconnected from their food source so you're talking to thing before about like um farm to plate or whatever you want to call it it's People are so disconnected from food that I think that's driving our like our our practices that aren't sustainable because people are so oblivious to what actually goes into creating things. They just want things for fucking cheap and they want lots of it, you yeah. know. But that's not sustainable. I I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And you know, the sustainability. You know, there's I think there's we think about sustainability in two ways. One is there's there's the sort of macro sustainability of like okay, you know, we need to work on greenhouse gas emissions because of climate change. We need to work on, yeah, the, the sustainability of, of our farming practices, you know, regenerative agriculture is starting to be a thing. Um, you know, there's debates on, on how real it is and what the impact of it is. But, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting stories out there of people who have transformed um, uh, their soil and their individual farms. So there's the macro sustainability, but there's also the individual sustainability of hey, I want my kids to have better pastures and better grass and more yields coming out of their land. And what can I do today to make that happen? Um, so there's also this kind of individualized um, level of sustainability. And yeah, again, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no one size fits all solution. I think there's bits of all these different techniques that different people can apply in different ways, but all of it is going to be necessary if we're going to solve that, solve those problems. You know, we, you know, we're in a space trying to help people, you know, manage better, improve what they're doing. And people always say, oh, you must be, you know, you must be freaking out about, say, like an impossible foods or, or something like that. And I'm like, no, like there's, there's going to be 10 billion people on this planet. Like, you know, in, in the same way that, you know, Tesla has transformed electric cars, right? They still only sell 500,000 a year, right? It's going to take them decades to get to a global population level. Uh, and it's going to require dozens of other car companies also building electric cars. And I think the same thing applies in food. It's like, if we're going to solve food problems, you know, we need to be helping at our level. We need all these other people coming in, you know, maybe there's alternatives involved. Maybe there's not, maybe there's different companies, but it, any huge systemic problem is going to require a lot of different solutions all working together to, to get there. Um, so, you know, we being, you know, helping to promote sustainability is, is in our core values as a business, something that everyone feels very passionate about. You know, we have to, um, you know, we can't be too dogmatic because it, not everything, it, you know, there's no one size fits all solution for everyone, but if we can help people find the ways that they can increase their own business's sustainability, then that's a step in the right direction. 100%. Well, everyone's different too. Everyone's learning in their own way. It's education too. We're going through a, a, a transition, aren't we? Like our, our generation and, and that sort of thing, like where we're, we're the first people to, to have the internet and understand more than just what our reality is in front of us. So it's more like now we've got this responsibility to, if, we know, if we're doing the research and educating ourselves, how do we act on it and how do we improve it? I don't want to feel guilty later on. You know what I mean? Looking back going, fuck, I knew that and I didn't do anything about it. What a dickhead, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what's on for the rest of the year? We've got not long to go until uh, Christmas and uh, yeah. start of 2021. What's on, what's on your plate? Woo. 
uh, taking some time off. It's, <laughs> it's been a pretty brutal year. I'll admit we've been um, pretty sheltered um, from the effects of COVID, not, not completely unimpacted, but certainly it hasn't been as tough as, as people in other industries. Um, but it's been a pretty savage year. And so we're, you know, the whole company, we're going to be taking basically two weeks off. We're, we're shutting down the office, telling everyone to get some headspace and get out and, and decompress and get ready for 2021. Um, and it's going to hit the ground running. So we've got, we've got a whole new product um, that we're going to be launching like widely uh, at the beginning of next year. You know, we've been operating in the U.S., but we're going to do a huge sort of loud U.S. launch uh, as well at the beginning of next year. Um, so off the bat, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of pretty interesting stuff happening, um, and we're we've got a few more kind of like you know for next year sort of other new products in the pipeline. One thing that you know, as I said at the beginning, you know, we always had this vision that you know if we can do it in a way that is beneficial to the farmer, um, we don't just have to operate on the farm. We can start to move down the value chain. And that's something we're gonna be looking at like really closely next year. And we've got some early pilots and customers where you know, they can take that data from the farm, you know, give the farmer a benefit, they're getting value out of that interaction, but it starts to move it one step closer to the consumer and, and add value up the chain. So that's something we've, we've talked about for years and years and years. And again, prioritization focus, but we're at the point now where we can actually execute on it, which is really exciting. Exciting you, you've got better. things going on, Kev. Things are cooking. Oh, things are cooking, mate. Oh, you got the barbie on. You're turning them on. You're turning and tossing, and I'm hungry. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to follow your journey and see see how uh, AgriWeb evolves. And oh, mate, it's been so awesome to sit down and pick your brain and um, hear about topics that we don't hear about too often, I suppose. And and I think a lot of listeners who, who listen to this pod are going to take lots away from it and think a bit differently about. Um, agriculture tech and and you know what that provides so absolutely pumped and stoked to have you on man really appreciate it well i thank you guys it was super fun um and yeah i love the chat and uh yeah great always great to uh, to talk about something it's obviously i think it's really exciting so thank you so much kevin 07 <laughs> Kevin 07 ah uh, i reckon uh, we say it a lot but I, I'm, I hope we're friends with kevin now because well, he's he's already huge, but he's going to boom, isn't he? You know when you can just pick a winner. You know you he's a winner. just he's, pick a he's winner. good dude, isn't he? I like what he stands for. I like how he operates. I like everything that their company is is doing. It can't be like he's mentioned. It really can't be that hard to attract talent to come and work for a purposeful company like AgriWeb. You got there. It was I good. There. I stumbled a little bit, but I got oh. there. Hey, I say what? What? I'll tell you what someone could do to help us out, Lock. I'd like to know. If you've listened to the podcast this long, you could do us a favor and share it or go on to Apple Podcasts and give it a rating. That would yes. be very helpful. Give it a rating. Five stars if you can, not one. Five. And a review, you dogs. Yeah, leave a review. Hey, don't call them dogs. You, no, so you're not, a people, you're not a people person, are you? You're, just, you're lucky you're not in them customer-facing sort of roles because you're a dirtbag. <laughs> hey, see you next episode.